Okay, uh, before we jump in, just some really quick uh, announcements. Well, maybe not even announcements. Maybe a quick kind of filler in, or if that's even a word. Um, we, we, we made it a word. Isn't is is Portland also slogan, keep Portland strange? I know Austin is, but isn't Portland that, that's Portland? Or is this vacation land? The other that's the other Portland? Okay, my bad. Wrong coast. Wrong coast, sorry. We're, we're all God's people, man. All right, uh, first, everything that was announced about everything that's happening is on our website. Did you guys know we had a website? You get on that website, you can even send in a prayer request and it might get answered, man. Come on. Like, the answer will get answered by God, but we might reply back to you. It depends. It depends on what you're requesting. Um, also, so we are kicking off a new series called Steps in Love. Really, the heart of what we're talking about is evangelism. Now, this is a topic that there's a breadth of emotion on this situation. You can be fired up about it. You've probably been thinking, when are we going to talk about taking the hill country? Or you could be like, how long is this series? So I don't show up again <laughs> until this is over. So I understand and I recognize the range of emotion. But this is something that's really important for God's people. This is a lifeline to the kingdom of God. That we are constantly and persistently proclaiming the gospel. And you know the awesome thing is we serve an incredible God who can meet us wherever we are spiritually. And can transform us into what he's calling us to be. And so these entire sermons are going to be built on preparing us to be a people who are ready to receive the people that God is already working on. And I will transition. So today we're talking about micro-eating. You know, there's a lot of microbreweries here. (laughs) (laughs) Those two are unrelated. (laughs) But I just, we're going to explain this a little bit more. So in 2008, I went to my first college conference. It's called the International uh, Campus Ministry Conference, and for short, ICMC. And it was in New Orleans. You know, the big easy. I had crawfish for the first time down there, and I was unimpressed. It was average. I thought, you know, I thought it was going to be amazing. It was average. I, I, I was expecting something more. And so this was the first time I, I, I became a follower of Jesus in 2008. I got baptized, repented. And our campus ministry at the time was about 13 students. By the time we're getting ready to go to this conference, our church, our region of the church I was a part of was about 180 um, disciples, faithful, loving Jesus. That was my picture of Christianity because I had not done anything before. I, I never even went to church earlier that year. Right. So it just, this was what I thought Christianity was. These 180 faithful people trying to love Jesus and being encouraged and being inspired to go out there. And so my campus minister convinced me to go to New Orleans, even though there was nothing in me that wanted to be there. (laughs) And so I end up going to New Orleans, and we get off, and we're doing this whole project. We're cleaning and everything else, and everyone has the same blue shirts. And then my campus minister is like, all of these people are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it was over 900 students. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then this person next to me, they were from the University of Washington. And they were just sharing their story. Then another young lady was from um, one of those boot states. I don't know which state she was from. But it was a state I was like, wow, I never met anyone from this state before. And we got a chance to hang out with so many of the brothers and sisters there. And so our first night, I was hanging out with the guys. And then we get a text message. Look out, there's a robber. They already robbed some sisters. And me and these other guys that were sitting there from different parts of America were like, we're going to protect the women. We're going to go out there and we're going to do it. And so I, I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, that wasn't me saying we're going to protect the women. That was those guys. But I, <laughs> but I was like, all right, we'll do this. And so from uh, about 10 a.m., I mean, from 10 p.m. till about 1 a.m., we were escorting a lot of the girls to their um, hotels as they were out there fellowshipping. And we were talking, and these are guys I had never met before previously. We got transparent. We got open. I got to hear their background. And then, oddly enough, all of us became Christians that year in 2008. So you got these four young, new believers, and we were just blown away by what we were witnessing. 
we were blown away that it seemed like everyone in our group knew where things were in the Bible. We were still learning, but you know, someone was like, turn this, and everyone was flipping. We were all blown away like, wow, they, everyone reads their Bible. Their Bibles look tore up. You know, like, <laughs> I grew up in an environment where all Bibles look super clean. <laughs> These group of people, now maybe they were just dropping it on the floor, but I suspect they were reading it. <laughs> I suspect they were actually reading it, and it blew me away. And then I remember one of the guys said, this is a picture of heaven. He's like, we spent the whole night together. It's now 1 a.m. We're not drunk. We're not high. We spent the whole night laughing. This is heaven right here. And he's like, what if we all move to the same state? And at that point, I checked out. (laughs) I'm like, you guys could go find where to live unless you're coming to Miami. (laughs) But, you know, in that moment... That was a micro Eden. Those four days in New Orleans with those followers of Jesus, that was a micro Eden. Many of you who have gone to conferences and have come back have felt the same way. Like, why can't it be like this all the time? When we flooded in on San Antonio and everyone was nice on the streets, that was so crazy. It was crazy. I got rides from strangers the entire time in San Antonio. I remember just someone driving by. I'm like, I bet they're a brother. Hey, we're trying to go over here. Yeah, 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 come in. I can fit too. You're like, wow, man, this is amazing. I wouldn't even try that now. <laughs> I end up somewhere else, man, up, up north where they do crazy things. Um, <laughs> terrible, terrible things. Uh, but that was a micro Eden. You see, when we think about evangelizing, when we think about bringing the good news to people, I want you to get the image of people coming together in the presence of God, being able to love one another and experience wholeness. I think sometimes when we make evangelism that, then we get fired up. But when it's something else, when it's like we want to have the biggest church in Portland, some of you don't get fired up about that. In fact, probably 90% of you don't get fired up about that. The 10% who get fired up about that, you know you need therapy, and that's okay, man. (laughs) But we want to influence people. We want to give people an opportunity to know Jesus, to connect with Jesus and experience that wholeness that prayerfully we all are experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Like I said earlier, talking about evangelism and outreach can be very challenging. The shame, the guilt, the hurt from the past. And evangelism for so many stirs up this inner cynic. Oh, we're going to talk about it. Nothing's going to change. It's still going to be. You know, you just start running through all the cynical thoughts you normally have. What is Steve doing? He wants to talk about evangelism. Is he evangelizing? What was last time Steve did? You know, all the inner cynic just comes out. You know, it's like a demon just grabs you. I'm asking as you're listening, allow the Holy Spirit to silence that cynic. I've been there. I thought evangelism at times, at its most basic, can sound like a pyramid scheme. You know, you're just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, there were strategies. You know, I, I'm always publicly supportive. But, you know, sometimes I'm just like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. All right. But that's not the vision that God gives us. But I do want to um, validate and honor the feelings. I want to validate and honor that this could be a challenging situation. And I want you to walk in the grace of God. Understand that Steve is not going to force you to do anything. But I am asking you to allow God's spirit and his word to transform you. You see, the fruits of evangelism is a micro Eden where we see God's work, where we see his new creation blooming in. A couple of disclaimers. If you're in an emotional space where this is very challenging for you, I know that people have gone to trauma therapy because of this. I say walk in God's grace, kindness and goodness. I am not going to come for you. I'm not going to pop out your closet. Are you doing evangelism? I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be in anyone's closet, one. And and I want you to walk in the grace of the living God. Understand he is calling you to that, but he's going to call you to that at the pace he's calling you to it. And I pray that you partner with him in prayer as he prepares your heart for that work. Second, this is not about the numbers. We need to be people oriented. When it's about the numbers, we become transactional and then we become less than representative of what Christ is calling us to be. We want and we need to be relational. And it's about people. Look at people we're we're, um, bringing the gospel to. Lastly, nobody. It doesn't matter. I've been doing evangelism for 15 years. 
Nobody's a master at it. I've had situations that should have completely failed and God amazed me. I had situations where I had the entire conversation cornered. I crossed my T's, dot my eyes, and nothing happened. Nobody's a master at it. You don't know how God is working, and that's what the parable of the sower is. He's like, you sow seeds, and no one knows how it grows. Same thing with evangelism. No one knows what they're doing, but you know you want to love them and present Jesus. So if you're thinking, man, I would go out and go do something, but I just don't know, you're in good company with all the saints of all the history. Gives you just one example. Poor Stephen got martyred, and then the church grew. Whose evangelistic strategy is that? You're like, hey, we're trying to crank this thing out. Let's get Stephen killed. That's, that's what we see in the book of Acts. You know, like, it just, so no one knows what, I, when I, so when I say no one knows what they're doing, I just don't want anyone to think I need to be a master at this before I could go. You need to be someone willing to love. Amen. Am I, like, destroying everything? Okay. Well, I'm probably pointing at the wrong thing. I should point at that thing up there. That's why I went to college. (laughs) That is why I went to a four-year university. I could find where that is. The gospel is the story of how Jesus, the Son of God, the Father, has become the saving Lord who now rules forever at his right hand through the sending of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling God's promises in Scripture. That's what, when we talk about evangelism, this is what we're talking about. Evangelism comes from the root word, um, good news, evangelize, evangelist, uh, what's, the, what's the word right there? It's, it escapes me. Euangelion, whoever said it out there. It comes from that word, and evangelizing is spreading the good news of Jesus' kingdom. You see, God is for the world so much. Believe it or not, every person you dislike, God loves. Every person you hate, God loves. Every person you think don't deserve his love, he loves. He is so for this world. And he is already working right now. The Holy Spirit is already working right now apart from what we're currently doing to draw people in. God is just inviting us to participate, to participate in this transformed life filled with love, purpose, and wholeness. A perfect love that drives out all fear. That's something I long for. That's something I desire. I want to see an entire community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Matthew 28, a familiar passage. Matthew 28. I've yet to see a disciple get this tatted on them. I see disciples with all sorts of tattoos of scriptures. No one ever gets this one tatted on them. Now someone's going to be inspired. Come on. Come on, I'm looking over here at Colin. I'm like, he's going to put it on his arm. (laughs) Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did I go too far? That's okay. So we're all familiar with this passage. We've read it. Maybe you, maybe this is your first time ever reading it. That's okay. Be fired up about it. But many of us are familiar with it. And Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. I am enthroned. I am now the king. And how does he rule his people? How does he leverage his influence as king of heaven and earth? Well, he calls his followers and says, I have a unique call for you to go make disciples, to go spread this gospel good news to all corners of the earth. You know, Jesus' call of the 11 post-resurrection to go make disciples of all nations, it, it, it's, it's one of those things that none of those guys in that moment knew what they were doing. Many of us have read the book of Acts. You know, like, they're like, oh, at what time are you going to bring the kingdom? He's like, I don't even know. And then it's like, okay, so what do we do? Wait till the power come on high. And then he just flies up. No more instruction. He just said, all right, Jesus, gone. Think about it. These are Jewish people who don't know all the different worldviews that are out there. And they are called to convince and persuade an entire world of the resurrected Jesus who on the outside looking in looks like a crucified criminal. Who looks like he's not worth following. Who looks like, to everyone else, just a regular Jew from a 
normal nobody place. And he is calling them to go do this work. Now, it's really important that we understand that what he says here in the actual Greek is what, what we see in Matthew 28. But it, 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 it's important that we add the necessary nuance. You and I cannot make disciples the way we break, bake brownies. So you can't just grab someone and be like, hey, I'm about to make you into something you don't want to be. That's just not how it works. Really, we go instruct the nations of the teachings and the way of Jesus. Some people will gladly receive that. Some people won't. Some people will not be neutral. They'll be like, right now, this is not a season for me. But we cannot force anyone to be disciples. And that's really important that we understand that. And that is not what Jesus is communicating here when he says, go make disciples. He's thinking more, go instruct the nations of what it means to follow him as Lord and Savior. And so as disciples, the Greek word matateo is like learners. You want to make learners of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus. That's really important. You know, sometimes we get so focused on the first part, baptized, and we forget to help people be learners. We want everyone to be learners of Jesus. And Jesus wants this entire community of people who are learners of him to imitate his good work. Like I mentioned before, the call is to make disciples and God's plan is to create micro Edens. And so Jesus' reign, how does he rule? That's really important when you think about how you should go out and go evangelize. I could share with you, man, when I was a younger Christian, zeal with no knowledge. I, you know, Julian mom has a phrase, um, I don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. I do not own a heaven or a hell. But I was sending people places, man. <laughs> and I realized the arrogance and the, the foolishness of that. It's not like I could make that call. Scriptures even tell me I can't make that call. But, you know, as a young guy, I was just like, oh, you don't want to follow Jesus? Then you're going to burn. And it's like, who, who am I to say something like that? God so loved the world and he, most of those people are still alive and God is still working their stories. They didn't need my parting shot of judgment. They needed my parting shot of love. Like he loves you. Yeah. The door is always open. The table is always there's space for you at the table. Yeah. You see, Jesus' way of dealing with people who were seeking him. Like think about his interaction with the rich young ruler. Did he, what did he say to the rich young ruler when he left? <coughs> All right, loser, go, go into your sin, loser. No. He just was like, man, it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. It's difficult. There was sympathy. When people didn't want him, the, the nine who didn't come back grateful, he didn't say, hey, let's go find them and let them know that they're going to be judged. The one guy who showed up, he's like, you're fired up. The rest of those guys, I don't know. It's really important that we understand that Jesus is loving, joyful, peaceful, good, kind, gentle, self-controlled, and faithful. And that should characterize our outreach to people. That is the posture we should take when we are sharing God's word and inviting people into God's um, into God's plan. Now you might be thinking, and we're going to talk about it two weeks from today. If Julian gives birth, then I won't talk about it two weeks from today. <laughs> but someone will. You might be thinking, when do we share judgment? There is a unique time that the scriptures make very clear when we need to share judgment. But nine times out of ten, it's not when we actually do it in our normal situations. It's really for believers who are losing path of the way of God. That we need to share judgment. You see, as a learner... As an apprentice, I need to learn from other people and I need to learn from Jesus himself on how to do this good work. And so to say yes, this invitation requires you to surrender your way of being on mission, which is to compartmentalize. I think many of us compartmentalize. When I'm at work, I'm doing the work thing. And then when I get out, I can do the kingdom thing. The work thing is the kingdom thing. Yeah. When I'm watching the baby... I'm doing the watching the baby thing, and then when I'm done watching the baby thing, I'm going to the kingdom thing. The baby thing is the kingdom thing, and if you're creative, you can make it a really big kingdom thing. <laughs> Every component of your life is bringing the kingdom, and you're on mission if you are intentional about it when you see and imitate the way of Jesus and his life. And so Jesus moves toward the world in love and invites us as his apprentice to do the same exact thing. Million dollar question, but how? Someone said houseway. <laughs> you got that reference, Iggy? <laughs> Come on. All of the rest of you guys are pure. You don't listen to Kanye West, which is good. Uh, God's spirit. How do we do this? How do we share God's, um, 
How do we share in God's way and God's method? I already talked about the character of Jesus, but how do we do this? God's spirit is lovingly present at this world, right in this world right now, in this city right now working, guys. There's, there's someone right now, they're praying that they could see God, and God is like, I already answered that prayer, and I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. You're going to see me in this song, you're going to see me in this relationship, and then four weeks from today, you're going to see me in the face of Lourdes. And there's going to be this connection. God is working all the angles to help someone know him. Yeah. We are just partnering with him yeah. in the work he's already doing. Yeah. We did not create Matthew 28. We get to participate in Matthew 28. And so he is with us. Any notion of mission in the world, in this world, must confess that God moves first. Long before we act. And God has already spoken long before we arrive. And God has been present. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 3. This is a really important passage. A lot of commentators already say this is similar to um, what we just read in Matthew 28. Genesis 12, God is speaking to one person, Abram, who would later be called Abraham. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Genesis 12, verses 1 through verse 3. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Why did God want Abraham to move? The chapter before is the Tower of Babel. Everyone was coming together. And God's like, no, I want you guys to spread. As Christians, sometimes we could be in the holy huddle. Any of you ever played football? You've seen a huddle? Can you imagine if a team never breaks out of the huddle? Are they going to win the game? They're going to get delay a game, delay a game. And then I don't even know what would happen after like the 10th delay a game. Like, if they, do you just do the automatically forfeit? I don't even know. No one even tries to stay in the huddle forever. I think too often when we are trying to honor Jesus when it comes to making disciples, we stay in the holy huddle. We're just waiting until when? I don't know. But we stay in the holy huddle. God really wants us to move like Abram, go, Matthew, go. And Abram, he did not have a great game plan on what he was going to do. Can you imagine the first conversation with Sarah? Hey, so God told us to go. Where? Who am I to question God? (laughs) We're going to start walking that way. And then, you know, bless her heart, right? Like, she went. How many other people would have been like, nah, got, get, get more information, please? <laughs> like, where are we going? How long are we going? <laughs> Who's going to be there? But she, they went. That becomes the pattern for every believer. So when Jesus says, go, think about this, this journey. How long was Abraham out there? We don't know. We do know. We could go do the math, but I ain't do the math. And that's our pattern. We go. Wherever we go, we seek to be a blessing first and foremost, and then we announce this kingdom of God. Earlier this year, we talked, I I, I said that one of our goals is for our community groups to grow from six to ten. The reason I want to do that, and I want us to keep multiplying, is I want micro-eatings everywhere in Portland. I want people to feel welcome, loved, and whole in this city. There are a lot of places where people feel alone, even though it looks like, man, how many of you look like you're happy right now and you're currently sad? I've had those days where I look great and, you know, I come in. Most of the time when I come into fellowship, I really try not to make it about me, but it could be an awful day. A month and a half ago, I had a horrible back and I was up here talking. I'm just like, oh, I'm in so much pain and I'm laughing with you guys. And I'm like, no one cares about my back. People care about, oh, why, what, what, what about this event? But there are people out there struggling right now and they don't wear a shirt that says I'm struggling. I'm sad. I'm lonely. They don't wear, and, and if we have community groups located everywhere, it gives people an opportunity that if they reach out to God, they can find him. Mm-hmm. They can find him in you and the brothers and sisters in your community group. And so that's why I'm praying that we can see our community groups continue to multiply. When we share the gospel, they will have to see the tangibleness of the gospel lived out in our lives. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later today, but... One of the things that's challenging right now is Christianity has just, you know, what is a Christian? Someone that goes to church on Sunday. That's what most people think. But Christian is a follower of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And the only way people even know you follow Jesus and the teachings of Jesus is if they see your life. People can see me reading the Bible till my face turned blue, but they don't know if I believe it. They have to actually see what I'm doing. You know, one of the things that... 
most of us in here who became believers in the campus ministry. It, it's a unique stage in life. Our, our, our fellowship of churches have their origin in helping people become followers of Jesus in the campus ministry. I became a follower of Jesus in college. I was 20 years old. And it's awesome. You know, at that age, you, I had no debt. Well, I had debt that was coming, but they weren't collecting it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I was living the life. I had no kids at the time. Um, I was in a complicated, not really too super serious relationship. You know, my life was good, man. I had nothing going. I wasn't watching my parents. You know, and I wasn't watching a kid. Life was good. You don't know how good life is between the ages of 16 and 25, man. Life is amazing at 35. But that age is like, man, no responsibilities. I wish I could go tell myself, get a little bit more stuff done. But that's okay. <laughs> most of us became believers during that phase, and most of us actually learned how to do ministry during that phase. And what works in the college campus, in that unique setting, in that unique place and time, is awesome for the college setting. Mm -hmm. Cold contact outreach, it's been effective. You need to randomly walk by, you're about to go to lunch and you meet some random guy you hadn't met before and you share and they want to come to your Bible talking. So you're doing a little event on the grass and like, come, this is going to be amazing. You have events like, hey, we got this big conference. We're all going to go away and go to this little retreat up there in the woods. It's going to be amazing. No one's going to kidnap you. You'd be like, awesome. <laughs> we have um, events on campus. Hey, we're giving away free pizza, all this other stuff. We do so many things on the college campus and that's amazing. Many of us have not shifted from that way of doing things to how things are presently. Mm -hmm. As a 35-year-old, I go to the mall. Guess what I don't want to do? Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to all the people who want me to sign up to stuff. <laughs> so I'm not saying cold contact evangelism isn't effective as an adult. I'm just saying at 35 years old, if you're going to bump into me, you got 10 seconds. <laughs> hey, so I want to talk to you about uh, no, It doesn't even matter I'm like, oh, I got to close the door of my fridge <laughs> Like, I'm not interested You know, I, I was on um, The graduate campus and, I, and it was an interesting situation at UNE And I was talking to Jesse And Jesse was like, honestly, bro, when I was there I was in and out You're carrying groceries into your house your kid's crying, the toilet paper's not on the roll, someone walks up to you, hey, can you have a minute? No, not really. <laughs> what? <laughs> can I help you? He's <laughs> like, we, we understand that, but we all feel it. The older we get, it's like our planners just terrify us. Everything is busy. Busy, busy, busy. And so if we don't transition from how we did things as a college ministry, what I'm asking you to do can feel overwhelming. Mm -hmm. You're translating what you did in college and you're like, how do I do this right here? Mm -hmm. okay. College was a special place, a special season. The campus ministry on so many ways could still do that. But the rest of us who are not there living that lifestyle, we have to change how we do things. Mm -hmm. Jesus worked in communities. That's what he did for three years. People knew him. They're like, oh, I know your dad. I know your brother. You're a regular Joe. People knew who Jesus was. He was invested. You know, how many of us know the person we regularly get co coffee from if you go out to go get coffee? You start to recognize the people. You know, I go to the gym. I know my, my 10 gym buddies and three guys that we started talking, but I've been too weird to get their name yet. Like, we've been talking for like three months, and I still don't know their name. Um, <laughs> but we recognize each other. We're always in the gym. I'm like, hey, how's it going, man? You know, working on the legs today, man. I see you getting fit. You know, I'm like, come on, bro, stop. Um, <laughs> but we're building rapport. How's it going with your, your family? One of the guys I know, he's in a relationship. Well, I'm like, how's that going? What are you guys doing? How long you been together? What, what are you going to do for your anniversary? Anything special? Blah, you know, we don't But we're starting to get to know each other over the long haul. I've been living next to Gabe. Gabe lives upstairs. He has one kid. We've been getting to know each other. Small talk. Small talk. But over the long haul. Mm -hmm. It's really important. Let's go to um, Luke chapter 7. So for our college ministry, you can continue to do the things I said. That works in that setting. It really does. It's effective in that setting. Yeah. But for our non-college students... You know, we probably all felt it. You'd be like, man, I was sharing with Lyanne the other day. I was like, man, when I'm on college, I know exactly what to do. I've been doing it for 15 years. The entire NFL draft class that came in when I got baptized is retired. I'm still doing the same thing. 
Like, I've been doing it. And I, I look at those guys, and I'm like, you guys are quitters, man. Now, you can't play NFL for too long. You got to stop eventually. But I've been at it. So if those guys are veterans, what am I? 15-year vet. But outside of the college campus, it's a completely different ball game. It's a good ball game, but it's a different ball game. Luke chapter 7, verse 34. It says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proven right by her children. Why did Jesus come around eating and drinking? You ever wondered that? Did you think he was a freeloader? <laughs> no, no. Jesus was intentional about what he's doing. There's two times this phrase is mentioned in the Bible, what the Son of Man came to do. The first one is here. He came eating and drinking. Let's go to Luke 19. This is Jesus speaking to Zacchaeus, uh, a tax collector, but some people would consider a mafioso kind of dude. Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Those meals, even him saying, Zacchaeus, I'm inviting myself to your house, that was his way of seeking and saving the lost. Guys, we need to recapture and reimagine hospitality. People, once they get to know you, are willing to have lunch, dinner, potentially breakfast if they're retired, and they are willing to connect. And that takes time. You know, it's completely different. You know, it's reasonable in the college ministry to expect someone to become a follower of Jesus in a semester because, you know, when when you tell a 21-year-old man, count the cost, what are you giving up? They They really don't got a lot. They don't got a lot. You know, I remember sitting down and someone asked me, hey, Steve, count the cost. Are you ready to give up? I'm like, what if Jesus wanted all your money, all my $30? (laughs) I put it in his hand (laughs) for the kingdom of God. What if he wants you to give up school? I hate school anyway. (laughs) What if he wants you to give up a relationship? Well, I'm not in one, so he could take the non-existent relationship. What if he wants you to go over here? Man, as long as I got somewhere to sleep, what if he says nowhere to sleep? I'll figure it out. At, at 20, I was so mobile and flexible. Yeah. Yeah. 35, I want you to give up this, give up that. Like, gosh, I've been working hard to get out of debt. He wants to take my money? Like, what am I going to do, man? <laughs> Hopefully get a 10K tax cut or something like that. Uh, but it, it, it's really important that we understand that. Like, the, the more mature we get, the more we can. And so it takes time. To build faith. It really does. I wish we could move quickly, but at the same time, I understand why we have to move. Because faith is a mustard seed that's being planted, and it takes time to root. And we have to be patient with that process. You see, we need to master the art of hospitality. But man, I got, no one can fit in my place. My house is dirty. Try your best to clean it, and then walk in there, and they say, hey, this is kind of dirty. You'd be like, I live in the grace of God. And they're like, wow, you're inspiring. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, honestly, and I say this not joking, but it's real. If your house is way too clean, that actually creates anxiety for guests. You walk in and you're just like, oh, my gosh, man, if I sneeze, I'm going to destroy this person's house. And you just want to run out. It needs to be mostly clean, like largely clean. But if it's immaculate, it's terrifying, seriously. And I know all of you agree. You haven't been, I've been in one immaculate place where they do surgery, and I was just like, oh, what did my germs spread? And then if I just held my breath and I left. <laughs> so imagine the setting that Jesus was in here. You know, the people, the people then and now are not that different. I mean, what, what was the conversation like with all the tax collectors he hung out with? They're like, hey, man, so we ripped some people off. Jesus sitting there like, you think he's rebuking all of them for ripping people off? I don't know. But they walked away from the situation. Like, I like this guy. He's a good guy. And people this day, this is not too different. We, we sit down. Someone's like, yeah, you know, my, I've been in these weird situations at the gym. It's like, you know, my old lady, man, she's not cooking the way she used to. And I say, man, have you prayed about it? <laughs> They're like, no, nah, I don't really pray. I'm like, honestly, if I was in your situation, I'd practice humility and I would pray. That's what I would do. Well, you preach. You're supposed to do that. 
I, even if I wasn't a preacher, I would do that. Now, I think it would be more effective if you guys did that, because then they couldn't say you're a preacher. <laughs> but that's what I say when I'm in the gym. Ran, everything turns into, did you pray about it? And I'm serious about that, too. Like, I really, they should pray. Um, I want us to start creating space to host people, to love them. Yeah. That, that takes intentionality. Your primary goal when you're hosting people is to listen, not to convert. The Holy Spirit will open up a door for you to have meaningful conversation, but you need to learn to listen. Listen. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to your friend that's speaking. Listen. And you need to create space to be hosted. Some of us are champions at hosting people, but we never go over someone else's house. You need to say, someone wants to host you, be like, hey, yeah, you know, even though I don't look like I might like your food, I'll come over there and eat something. But it needs to be like the basic stuff. Now, I, I usually try to eat something when I'm over someone's house. I learned my lesson about not being hospitable in that way. So how do we do it like Jesus? We listen. We listen to the Spirit, and we listen. Sharing the gospel is one of the most loving things we could do. That needs to become a conviction for some of us. Like, this is the most loving, one of the most loving things I could do. You could do a lot of other loving things. You know, the idea of going out and making disciples of all nations was a foreign concept for these Jews, but we see that the fruit of their work. It required deep thought, how to effectively help them change other people's ideas, doctrines, and practice in a cogent way. Sociologists call the time that we're presently living in as post-Christian. What that means is the world was, for many of you who grew up back then, I won't put a year because I don't want you to feel old, um, grew up, there was a world in which Christianity just made a lot of sense. Now, presently, a lot of the things that we said, oh yeah, that makes sense, are now under question. You know, one of the things that's interesting is, while empirical truth still exists, we use phrases like, you speak your truth, I speak my truth. That's because now truth is not something that could be verified in scientific method, but truth is, becomes an experience. And so we, as we're sharing the gospel, how do we talk to people about their experiences, validating that, and then pointing them to a larger reality? That's what we have to do in a post-Christian world. Sanctuary. You've you probably heard a lot of people say, that this is my sanctuary. Being on the stage and performing music things, being in the gym, this is my sanctuary. Back then, that was a place of worship. Now, it's a place of fulfillment and happiness. And so people are seeking a sanctuary, seeking a place where they can find fulfillment and happiness. And this is something that's really important now. Most of you probably like, I, just, I really do just want to be happy. And that's good. That's a good desire. And we believe that we find the greatest joy in following Christ. But this is something that's really important as we present the gospel. You know, and then morals, man. Back then, there were things that was right or wrong. Being a coward was right or wrong. And there were things that were very clear right or wrong. Now, morals are self-authoring. Like, I decide what's right or wrong. And even though I can't explain it deeply... You kind of need to adhere to my morals as well, even though everyone is, everyone's morals are relative. You know, like, there becomes, like, a rule, like, I don't know how we decide, but someone's going to have the higher morals and we're going to pick. That's the world that we're in right now. Where it's like, you can't tell anyone what to do, and then you say you do something heinous like kick puppies. You can't do that. You, you need to go to jail. We're going to get someone you like, nah, we can't tell someone what to do. We can tell them not to kick puppies. Which I think is vile, okay? Like, if you're doing that, I'm judging you. I'm judging you. I'm calling you to repentance today. Stop kicking those poor animals. You know, here's a, a, a quote from Tim Keller. He says, our contemporary culture has a schizophrenia about moral commitments and has no good way to impart them to our children and does not even have a good explanation about why we have such convictions. Modern people say they do not believe in absolute morals but can't function without practically assuming them. And they won't even admit they're doing it. How did this unprecedented situation come about? That's called post-modernity, that's called post-Christianity. That's where, in this unique place right now in Portland, this is probably one of the hubs of the, the world right now that we're, we're, we're seeing this. So what's the strategy? The challenge is gonna require, again, it requires the work of the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit, by God's mercy and grace, is always working. It requires us to be learners, humble learners, and it requires patience. We need to bring back hospitality and friendships. 
I think in the past, especially within, again, the campus ministry context, our relationships are extremely transactional. Do you want to follow Jesus? Yay, awesome. Okay, I decided that I'm not ready in this season right now to follow Jesus. Get out of here, man. I'm moving to the next person. That, that is so discouraging when you thought you really made a friend. When the other person is thinking, I thought we, we had those moments, we cried together, it was awesome, you know my kids' names, and because I decided that right now, I don't know if this is what I want you, it, it, it's done. In the past, we wanted to help as many people as possible, and I think that heart was right, but the behavior in which we did that was not right. Yes, relationship dynamics may need to change, but we should always still be friends with anyone we've ever been friends with. And what, what does that friendship require? Patience, <coughs> empathy, curiosity. Yeah. It requires us to be discerning in those relationships. It requires us to be incarnational, which is, means be like Jesus. Gentle, hospitable. It requires us to serve them. Treat them as you would treat Jesus. And again, we have to be cautious of being transactional. And we need to ask good questions, contemplative questions, like, what are you looking for? Um, this is after we get to know someone. This shouldn't be the first time you meet them. Where, where, where do you find hope? Where do you feel powerless? How long have you been longing for something more meaningful? Again, after you get to know the first time you meet someone, you're like, let's get here. And you're like, wow, that might work. It depends. Listen to the spirit. We need to be transparent. Guys, don't fake that you're not doing well. You know, the thing that blew me away, my campus minister got into a disagreement with his wife. It was the most tame disagreement I ever saw in my entire life. And I was like, I think this thing is real. Like, they were like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't consider you. But, babe, you always are not considering me. And then she went out and she's like, you know what? Okay, I'm just really upset. I'm going to go pray. And then he's like, oh, I'm so sorry you saw that. I'm from Miami where they call police when they get in domestic situations. I'm like, this is a fight? I'm like, what? I'm like, come on. But that was good for me to see. I felt like that's the, I'm like, whoa. I'm like, whoa. I remember, I, I didn't even remember what we studied then. I told everyone what I saw. I'm like, these dudes is nuts. That following Sunday was the first time I went to church. I went to church and I saw married people holding their hands. I was like, whoa. I'm like, they came up and they're like, yo, they've been married 13, 14 years. And they're holding hands and they're talking to me. I'm like, I went back to my neighborhood. I'm like, guys, I went to a church and the married people still holding hands over there. Everyone was like, what are they doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it blew me away. But if Alex didn't allow me to see that transparent moment, I sincerely think I would have been like, this is just all head knowledge. It doesn't change anything. But in that moment, he, he could, like I said, no one's the master of evangelism. How you plan a disagreement with your wife? I wouldn't plan that as a strategy. <laughs> Discouraging. <laughs> but for Steve LaFrance, that was a game changer. Wow. The cross and that disagreement, something clicked, and I was like, I think I want to make Jesus Lord. Wow. That was a game changer for me. Transparency. So if you're in a tough situation and your marriage is tough, obviously you don't need to drag anyone, but... Be transparent. If you, you have something about this, seeing someone else's life, it just blows you away when you see there's a difference. And wisdom is needed. One of the things we need to do, we need to remove assumptions. Everyone is open to the gospel until they say otherwise. Sometimes we can look at someone, they, they could wear a shirt you don't like, you know, like, oh, I hate Patriots fans. And you're like, this person's not open to the gospel. Because <laughs> I'm like the biggest Patriot fan in the world. You don't know. Talk to them. They might be like, hey, I got this from Goodwill, actually, and it's the only clean shirt I have. <laughs> I'm ready for the gospel. But we need to remove the assumptions. Let's assume that God really loves them and that God is working, and they might be blown away by the person of Jesus. Yep. We need to remove fear of failure. What if it goes wrong? God is still faithful. God's spirit is still working, and you serve a God of grace. We need to remove ourselves from the holy huddle. You know, Lyanne, at Rocky's birthday party, she brought her neighbors there. You know, a lot of times when we do, do things as disciples, we kind of bring in people from the church and just like, okay, this is going to be a tame situation. It's not going to go left. And then when we bring our friends, it might go left. And we don't want it to go left because left is not good. We want to stay right. But I want to encourage us. 
let's blend it. Like, I don't really celebrate my birthday. Me and you guys know me. When I say I don't really celebrate it, I don't celebrate it. <laughs> but, you know, this year, I want to celebrate my birthday for the prime opportunity to give someone to see potentially a preview of the kingdom. Yeah. And then people are going to talk about me. It's going to feel weird. Like, oh, gosh. But if they're like, wow, look at all these awesome people. Wow, that, that serves a purpose. I want to start using my life events that I feel like are so trivial to bring God glory. Amen. And you're not, you're not trivial if you celebrate those things. I actually respect you a lot. <laughs> I just think they're trivial. <laughs> um, and we need to take risk. Evangelism is risky, man. You know, sometimes you're going to share the gospel with one of your best friends and they might, that relationship dynamic might change. Mm-hmm. You might share the truth of Jesus and that might change. And, and we need to be okay with the risk. We might share the gospel and someone will be like, I'm so offended, I'm going to post this online and I'm going to... That's okay, because we know our intentions is to honor Jesus. Yeah. We know that our intentions are to honor Jesus. And the gospel is still impacting and still helping people. It isn't like the gospel only helped me 15 years ago. It's still helping me presently. Lindsay's going to share a little bit more about that. She knew she was going to share. <laughs> They're like, Steve is calling people out. Uh-oh, let me get ready to share. <laughs> okay, yeah. I put my stuff here. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so, um, Steve asked me to share a way that Jesus's redemptive power has just, his redemptive work has been evident in my life. And, um, so Colossians 1.17 says, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. And that was sort of like scripture that I had in mind. And I guess I just wanted to share about, um, our marriage, um, AJ is my amazing husband over there. Uh, we've been married for almost 14 years now. Um, do you still hold hands? We do. <laughs> we do. Um, when our kids aren't pulling us opposite directions, <laughs> we do. Um, yeah, so I actually, um, I'm going to share about one of our most recent conflicts. Um, because, and AJ okayed me sharing about this. <laughs> um, because I think that, I don't know, I think it's important that we normalize conflict in relationships. Um, that, you know, a, a healthy relationship isn't absent of conflict, but rather, um, you know, it's how the conflict gets resolved and how we repair the ruptures that happen. Um, you know, and we, we actually can't have intimacy in a relationship without conflict. Um, so it happens. Um, so as you guys know, we are in the first time home buying process. Um, and if you've heard or you know anything about this current market, it's a little crazy, um, a lot crazy. Um, and so earlier in the week, AJ and I um, had had a conflict about this process. So he um, had decided in an effort to help our situation to reach out to some of his family members and ask them for some help. Um, financially if anybody would sort of help us towards our down payment and he did this without my knowledge or talking to me about it first and um, (laughs) he he let me know about it later that night and um, he decided to not involve me because he knows how I feel about asking for help and he knew that I wouldn't like it Um, and I was really hurt um, that he didn't involve me but even more than that, I was just hurt that he assumed how I would respond um, or react. And, um, you know, I'm happy to report that um, it might have taken us till 2 a.m. that night, but we got resolved and reconciled, and it's through Jesus that I was able to forgive. And, um, you know, also, like, just knowing we had to hear each other, you know, out and... um, you know, I had to accept the loss and understand that, like, you can't go back. There's no undoing it. But I had a choice to either stay upset about it or um, forgive and move forward and believe the best in him. Um, and he believing the best in me as well. Um, I realized that he just wanted to help our family. And thankfully, God blessed that. And someone is offering some help, which is great. That's a bonus. Um, but... Um, you know, and he realized after, you know, hearing me that I want us to be, make these decisions as a team. 
And um, I'm happy also to report, you know, no one slept on the couch. There was no, there was no name calling. There were no threats or you always or you nevers. None of those were exchanged. Um, we were able to hear and acknowledge the hurts, apologize, forgive, and move forward in love and renewed appreciation and understanding of one another. Um, and I think, you know, things like this conflict will happen again and again um, in any relationship, marriage or otherwise. Um, but with Jesus and in him, we can all hold together. And um, it's, it's not because of AJ or I, but it's about, um, it's about Jesus. So anyway. Jesse is also going to share. Hey, guys. Um, I'm going to use a mic. So I'm uh, going to lose my voice. So I love this prompt, um, same as Lindsay. I, I wrote down five ideas. <laughs> and I was like, because I was, I was super fired up, and I sent them all to Steve. I was like, I can't decide, so he picked for me. And then I said, you're going to have to have me up at five weeks in a row. And he, he just did that laugh emoji. But he, so, so we'll see what happens. I think, I think that's a no. I'm not really good with the iPhone. I don't have an iPhone, so. Um, you know, I think it is a challenging prompt to know, like, how is God working in your life? And what, what is God redeeming you from when you sort of have to imagine this alternate reality? So for the comic fans out there, uh, comic book fans out there, I'm going to give an illustration of the multiverse. And if you don't know what the multiverse is like me, you can just go Google it. So in another universe, there is this alternate Jesse that doesn't have God, that doesn't have his covenant with Christ and and doesn't have the church family. And that Jesse is very mean-spirited. He's very selfish and he's very um, pessimistic and cynical. Uh, I am quite confident that he has almost no friends, um, might be married, might have kids, but those, those relationships are broken as well. I'm quite confident that one of two things are true. Uh, he's either um, given over to some ideology with a great passion, um, or he's very successful in the world and very much pursuing um, worldly success, but empty on in the inside. Because of God, though... That doesn't have to be my story. My own weaknesses, my own um, failures, my own sins don't have to define who I am. And that, I don't actually believe in the multiverse, but that that is not the reality that I live in. Because of God, I can have hope. In 1 Thessalonians it says, We do not want you to grieve like other men who do not have hope. And the context is, is a bit different. It's about those who have fallen asleep in God. But for me, my nature is to be pessimistic and to be cynical and to be sarcastic. And like Steve said, with the cynicism of evangelism, it's like it really comes out. And I was really identifying with that in a way, in a weird way. And then I was like, no, I'm not going to identify with that because I'm part of a different story now. Yeah. In my nature, I would be prone to despair. I would be prone to cynicism. I would look out in the world, and I would see things are not going well. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Either you are someone... Whoa. Things are not Darkness. Things are not going well. Things are getting dark. I can... I'm very confident that either you, yourself, is someone who looks out in the world and says things are not going well, or you know someone who feels that way. Things just are not going well in the world, right? I would look inside myself. And when you look inside yourself too deeply, you realize you're kind of messed up. You're kind of broken. I would look at my friends. I would look to my career. I would look to being successful. And, and I would not find hope there. God can really change your perspective, though. I am convinced that Jesus has had the victory in this world. And that has grounded me and given me a story and a purpose in this world because ultimately I know who's in charge in my own life, in my family, in my, in my job. And those, those things now, my friends that I couldn't trust, my own past that I couldn't get over, the wounds that were causing me so much hurt, those don't have to define me anymore because I know that God, 
through Jesus is reigning in this world, even though it doesn't always look like he's in charge, but I really believe he is. He will be in charge in this world and the next. So um, we'll see you next week and the next four Sundays. (laughs) Thanks for letting me share. Amen. You know, that, I, I wanted to share that because I think sometimes we think that the gospel only has a one-time benefit. Like, I got baptized, and I got my ticket to heaven, and I just kind of... We are constantly being saved by the work of Jesus. Yeah. You know, like, what, what Lindsay and AJ went through... You know how many couples, if they would have went through what they went through, would have been talking divorce? And that wasn't even on the table for their situation. Like, when they were sharing with us, I was like, wow, like, this is so awesome. And they're like, well, of course, we're following Jesus. But you like, not everyone has that opportunity. But we can share the gospel and give people that opportunity. What Jesse mentioned about hope, you know, it's so easy to be cynical. Like, just watch a couple of the news channels, man. And then you just, and, and you know where, where the most cynical people live? In the comment sections at Twitter. I don't know why those people are so dark over there, but it's just so discouraging. You like, you guys are the meanest people I've ever met, but you're loved by the Lord. But like, it's so easy, and yet the gospel gives a different story. And so, one of the most loving things we could do is share that because what you're experiencing that you have now normalized is not everyone's reality. It's not everyone's reality. They can walk away from a situation and be like, "Man, that's different because of the love of Christ." That's different because of the blood of Jesus. That's different. You can share that. That's micro-eating right there. Yeah. But again, I think because of the holy huddle, sometimes we forget that that's not everyone's reality. Right. That we experience these things. Yeah. And so, I, I think I turned off the clicker. That's okay. Bam. Okay, so what is evangelism? It's teaching or preaching with the aim or intent to persuade or convert someone to the reality of the gospel. That's what evangelism is. We invite people to different things. Those are invitations. Evangelism is when you sit down and tell them about the reality of the gospel, that there is a different king on the throne. We persuade people we don't manipulate. If you are a natural manipulator, I call you to repentance. Evangelism needs to be a spiritual discipline of ours. It needs to be a spiritual discipline. It needs to be something we just practice. And we, and those of you, I just wanted to share as we're wrapping up here, Give yourself a lot of grace when it comes to you sharing. A ton of grace. Who cares if you mess up? I have messed up more times than I could think. And I have seen God work in spite of my mess ups. And I've seen God continue to work. So if you say the wrong thing, God is good. You say the right thing, God is good. Sometimes you can get terrified. You get scared. You're like, God, man, I really wanted to talk to that person in this moment. But I didn't do it. Now you hate me. Everyone hates me. And the world's going to burn up. If you open your eyes and it didn't burn up, God is good. <laughs> and you just move on. You just move on. You're like, okay, another opportunity. We don't need to down ourselves. Yeah. Take hope in the midst of discouragement. That God is still working. His spirit is still working regardless of what we do. And find that hope. Some practicals. I want us to start being intentional about praying for our friends. Mm. That needs to be something we do. We need to pray for our friends. Yeah. What Jesse did with the multiverse, I want us to start imagining what our friends' lives could be if they had the gospel. How much more powerful their marriage or their life, their parenting, their workplace, how much more powerful would be if they had the Lord that we have and the spirit dwelling in you. I want us to start being active listeners. Some of us are talkers and we need to learn to listen. Some of us are great listeners and you continue to keep listening. I want us to be active in listening to the spirit. What does it mean to listen to the Spirit? We could talk a whole lot about that, and we're going to do that another day. But I, 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 but I do know when the Spirit is speaking, we need to speak with boldness. I want, and, and we need to be, get comfortable enough where it, it's good, and we know we have an opportunity that we share. Like, would you want to sit down and study the Scriptures and learn more about this Jesus that has drastically transformed my life? So here, here's the takeaway for us. So we're going to, you know, we all operate in community groups, and I want us to, zero pressure, pick five people that are local. Five people that you're like, man, I work with this person, I live next to this person, and start praying for them, and let's do that as a community group. Let's just put together, if you're feeling pressure, like, I got no one, amen. You're loved, and we're going to pray that you can get to know some people. Like, well, I feel anxiety, I don't want to get to know one. Amen, we'll pray for your anxiety. If that's what we got to do for the next year, pray for your anxiety, then we're praying for your anxiety. 
But everyone else who may not be in that spot, let's find five people that we could think of, people you go to gym with, people you work with, and as a community group for this next month, let's start praying for them together. Let's start praying. And then we move forward, and then we start asking about it. Like, hey, how is it going? I've been praying for Ian. Is Ian still doing his Ian thing? Actually, it's going great. You know, since you started praying for Ian, I, I, he texted me the other day, and now we're connecting. He's coming over for lunch. I would love for you to meet him. Mm-hmm. He's like, awesome. So we're all going <coughs> to put into our, however we communicate with our community groups, just five people mm-hmm. that we want to pray for, preferably locally. But if you want to be like, pray for my kids, we'll pray for your kids. We could put them at six and seven, eight, nine and ten, however many kids you got. Um, but that is the goal. So we're going to end with a time of reflection. Let's uh, bow our heads. When we reflect, what we're, what we're hoping for is if the Spirit has said anything to us, moved us, or inspired us, that we yield to what the Spirit is saying. So this is a moment of silence to do that.